Hello, my name is Taylor Clement. I'm the head of school. And I'm Maria Massey, assistant head of school. And today we are jumping into another topic that is very pertinent to the lives of our kids, particularly for this time of year, and that is the October blues. And so parents, this is an area uh, that we'll unpack today, but also uh, something that Maria and I both are very passionate about and helping you recognize different symptoms with your kids as we nurture, educate, and equip them for their everyday life, and which is why we do this podcast. So, um, Maria, can you tell me what are the October blues, and is it a real thing? Yes, it is Because October a real blues thing. just sounds like preseason hockey. Yes, exactly. It is not preseason hockey. Um, the October blues, we find that this is one of the hardest months emotionally, and sometimes, obviously, then academically for our students. And there's a couple different reasons why. I mean, you wouldn't guess, but fall is coming, and so a change of season. Um, the weather gets cool, hopefully. The weather gets cooler, and it starts to get darker. But more than that, we have kind of settled into a routine here at school. Right. The newness is wearing off, but especially for those kids who may have transitioned to KDS this year, it doesn't quite feel like home yet. So something that I say and this is this is definitely an area that, that I have been adamant about over the years I've always said that if you were to ask heads of independent schools mm-hmm. what are your hardest times of the year it would not be December it would mm-hmm. not be August and would not be May mm-hmm. it would be October and February yeah yeah October and February and the reason why is because of the October blues, and I think in the same way, it's February. You're you're dealing with really hard times of the of the year. Sickness starts to hit in. I mean, my son's homesick today. They like allergies are abundant in October. Yeah. February's kind of our flu season and stomach bug and things like that. But October is a hard time because of that, and we we've hit a a lull in the emotional and the pedagogical calendar. Yep. So from a school admin side, that that's kind of where we are. And like you said, the newness of schools weren't worn off. And quite frankly, we kind of know who our friends are and kind of know who our enemies are. And, you know, that really becomes probably what I see more. I mean, and even if I just think, I know today's, what, only the second, um, but have definitely had more friendship issues come up even in the past two days because people have settled in and you know, once we get more comfortable with our friends, um, it's often easier for us to get into fights with them, right? Um, And so whether that be out on the playground or whether that be at lunch or some other time, uh, you know, it is definitely a season, a month, where it feels like the dust has settled and now we're we're gonna sit in some of, of the conflict that that happens. Yeah. And October blues is not something that is really in, in popular nomenclature, but it is within private schools. So parents, feel free to Google this. Um, there's some blog articles or different things. I've written something for our website, and you'll get with the email that comes out with this podcast. But one of the one of the things that's interesting is NPR did um, an interview mm-hmm. where, they, where they mentioned this a few years ago, and an educator pointed out as far from a teaching perspective, she said the best laid plans tumble to the ground like dead leaves. And she's absolutely right. And so yeah. this is the time of year where we, you know, we require faculty to do an annual plan. And so our faculty kind of map out their, their curriculum throughout the year. 
this is about the time of year where they're like, oh man, I'm starting to get behind, or this mm-hmm. kid's sick, or this family had to go on a trip, or this person passed away so that my yep. kid's gone. All of a sudden, life happens. And we're not in review season anymore either. You know, the, right. first, the first couple weeks um, is review. I would say discipline-wise, the first month can be review. Uh, um, yeah, of course. In the sense of, like, teachers really setting the expectations and, and kids really understanding and adhering to the expectations. That can definitely take solid month um the month of september and i know we were here for part of august but you know it it takes some time to settle in so to see an increase in moodiness to see an increase in um conflicts with their friends an increase in challenges and in the academic area like not surprising at all so one of the things that, that I often will point out, and I have this conversation with other heads of school, and one of them often makes fun of me because he doesn't think October is the hardest month, and I vehemently disagree with him. We have a, we have a really good relationship to, to do that. Um, but, Michael, I'll be throwing you under any bus if you're listening. Uh, but the, the idea is there, there's kind of this natural course of the school year that, that we feel, and we've, we're able to somewhat map out as administrators and teachers, but these changes going from the newness of and, and review, the newness of school, which is exciting and fun in a lot of ways, a little nerve-wracking, but even the anxiousness can, can still kind of give you a little bit of a, a zip in your step, so to speak. Um, and then you have the, the review wearing off. This really does develop into a psychological and physiological toll. Mm-hmm. And this natural course of ebb and flow of childhood relationships, all of a sudden, you kind of go from these peaceful two months of getting it used to your schedule of like soccer practice and volleyball practice, which our kids are in right now, to, uh-oh, now now we've got a problem. This kid hit this kid. This kid said that. That, for, that person's not allowing my kid to sit at the lunch table. And so what we're really going to unpack, not just where we are in the school years, we've, we've already talked about, but tips of how do you prepare as a parent and what you can do for your kid today. And so as you begin hearing names, parents, of students maybe you hadn't yet heard of Mm -hmm. or your child comes home and they're saying words all of a sudden that you said that's unacceptable for them to be learning uh, at a Christian school or that's unacceptable for them to be hearing all together, we all of a sudden sense with parents that now they're feeling a lack of control. Mm -hmm. They're also sensing, did I make a mistake in putting my kid with this kid in a class request or even bringing them to the school altogether? Mm -hmm. And so these are real and valid fears. Mm-hmm. Our hope in this is not to dissuade you from what you're feeling, but help you rationalize what's going on in the grander scheme of things than just pointing out and saying that you're wrong. So, mm-hmm. so bear with us in that, and, and we'll unpack that. Definitely. I think you know it's really important to recognize that we do feel a lack of control when we send our kids to school because someone they're in someone else's care for you know seven hours a day um but when we think about okay knowing that we may feel that lack of control what are some things that we can do to help um and i think the first thing is to recognize whether it's a phase um or or pattern right so the difference between a phase and a pattern is that a phase is much shorter Mm -hmm. And a pattern tends to be more consistent and would last for longer. Um, And so we know that this is a time of year 
this month in particular can be really challenging for students. So asking some of these questions, you know, does it occur at this time every year? There are some kids, and I can be, I can be like this too, um, where it's just hard at this time of the year. Uh, I remember in college, it seemed like every single February, March, that time of year was just so hard for me. I don't know if it was partly because of the winter, if it was after the hot, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but I remember feeling an increased anxiety, increased social anxiety, increased anxiety in general, but also just kind of a mopiness and a sadness during that time. Yeah. And that can happen with our kids where it's like, okay, we know that every fall, this is a challenge that we face. Maybe because of schedules, they're playing soccer, whatever it may be. But asking ourselves, okay, has this happened before? Does this occur each year? Have we seen a pattern? And there's a chance too, and I think this is something that, that I'm definitely growing as a leader and seeing. As our kids get older, it intensifies. Mm-hmm. So you could say, well, last year when I had teacher Smith or teacher X, mm-hmm. whomever, uh, fill in some type of you know, um, pseudonym, they they were great. Yeah. But this teacher is bad, and it and it feels worse because guess what? Fourth grade, there, there's more homework in fourth grade than there is in third grade. Yeah. Or maybe there's a new kid who's who's challenging your child um, in a competition of, of academics or athletics or something else that has nothing to do with mm-hmm. their their actual love of school. Mm-hmm. But these things can become magnified in a much more intense manner because your child's gotten older. Yeah, and that would be a whole nother ball yeah. of wax to tackle. But I do think that you have to recognize phases and patterns. Yeah. And is this new? Because if this is brand new to your family, it's the, the even though it could just be a phase, it feels weighty. Oh, so weighty. And it's like so hard to deal with in the moment. Like yeah. you know, there's only there's only so much that we can say about, you know, recognizing if it's a phase or a pattern, because ultimately whether it's a phase or a pattern, you're still in the midst of it. And it's still hard when you're in the midst right. of it. Um, and, and I would say, too, just parents, if you're trying to ask the question, is this a phase or a pattern, I would ask two people, the teacher your child had mm-hmm. last year and the teacher your child had this mm-hmm. year. Because another thing that gets frustrating with parents and, and also with teachers is by now teachers don't have the new kid. Yeah. The new kid is, is settled into yeah. class. And so what we see is teachers are now saying, okay, I've gotten to know this child well enough to know that this might be an issue or mm-hmm. a problem mm-hmm. and in wanting to address or unpack that it can feel like well my child's broken or my mm-hmm. child has a disability or my child is this and that's not it mm-hmm. but but this is also the time of year where this where some of the stuff that may have been settling beneath the surface now Starts rises to, to the top yes it emerges but if you're seeing something at home that's not being implicated by by teacher comments or Friday folder uh, things that you're seeing go to the teacher and ask, are you seeing the same things we're seeing? Because again, as we talked about in the conflict, we as educators are going to see our children in a different light than the teacher themselves. And sometimes, you know, kids hold it together at school and let it loose at home. Right. And sometimes um, it's the opposite. So, and our kids, you know, because of the age that they are developmentally, they're going through some big changes almost every year. Yeah. And so that's important to keep um, to keep in mind, too. And I would just say as you're talking to your student and if they come home and ha- are having a challenging season, just remembering to validate and normalize that experience for them. 
So step one is recognizing the difference between a phase and a pattern, and then step two is asking the question, can I help my child with self-care? And a lot of people, including myself at times, will roll their eyes at self-care because, you know, it feels like a big millennial kind of new agey thing that they're going to do at Google to help recruit these young kids that, you mm. know, are called a bunch of different names in the political spheres, whatever. They can't tough make it, you know, they're not yeah. tough enough to make it through. But there's a lot of different ways to go about this, but self-care requires time, energy, and money, which can be, all three can be rather scarce, one one or all. But then it also really requires us being emotionally present, which in a, in a world of screens, that, that becomes very difficult as well. So there's really two types of self-care. Um, there's micro and there's macro. So I wanna go ahead and define those two things. So talk first about a definition of self-care and then let's let's delineate between what micro and macro sure. is. So what is self-care? So self-care is anything that you do that refuels you. So I think oftentimes people roll their eyes at self-care, myself included at times for sure. No, yeah. you're a counselor. I know, right? Um, because it can feel lazy and okay. there is definitely a high priority in our culture to not be lazy right um and, and that's something we talked about with our faculty at the beginning yes. of the year that a lie of our culture is that often rest is confused with laziness yes but then we do things like binge because we're so tired that we just want to numb out for hours and hours and hours right so again, self-care is anything that actually refuels and recharges you. So I can watch The Office for three hours and not be recharged in the same way that I am when I go for a walk for 15 minutes outside. Like there's a difference there. Gotcha. Yeah, so that's the biggest thing to recognize in self-care is that it's something that refuels us. So let's, let's unpack that piece something that real refuels us and, and, I, and I'm of course asking a very leading question here are we talking a day at the spa are we talking <laughs> a vacation or are we talking about just being able to have a moment sure. by yourself well that's where it goes into the micro and macro right. right so everybody has a different definition of self-care right not everybody's going to find self-care in the same way but those big thing, those, those um, macro self-cares is something like a vacation, something like a spa day, because it takes planning, it takes time, it takes energy. Sometimes it takes things that are almost out of our control in the sense of like, I can't, you know, I can't plan a vacation in the middle of school. Like, so yeah. there's, much more, there's much more that goes into doing something like that. Uh, that's one of the reasons we have summer vacation, right? Is because we need a season in our life where things are slower. So that's big picture self-care, things that you may do once or twice or three times a year depending on your family. Okay, so before we move on, let's talk about the difference between a vacation and a trip. So I have a friend that says anything that has to do with family is not a vacation, <laughs> it is a trip. Now I think that's indicative more of his family and family of origin than, than anything, um, and, and we joke about that, but there are times where there are trips and there are vacations. Sure, sure. In order, and it depends on your season of life. Before we were married and had kids, like, going to a wedding was kind of like a vacation. Right. Now, if I had to go to a wedding with two kids, it's like, 
that's a trip. Well, that's a great example. That, yeah. that, that really is. That's a because, trip. That's a lot of work. Because now when I think about traveling for Thanksgiving, traveling for Christmas, things like that, that does not feel like Correct. Thanksgiving vacation or yes. Christmas vacation. That feels like a lot of work. I'm getting up early, and if my kids are sleeping late, and somebody else's kids might be getting up early, or you yeah. know, there, there's you know, it's a different bed, it's a different house, it's, it's that sort of different thing. Different schedule, right? Yeah. And I, I may be sounding like you know Walter Matthau and grumpier old men, but still, it doesn't matter. It's one of those yep. things where it is more work, whereas a vacation really is set up yeah. to get away from the distractions and. You're set up to to rest, and that and that rest obviously can look different, right? Yes. It can be I want to lay on the beach and read a book, oh, totally. or it could be I want to go hike a mountain. Yes, today. and my husband is much more the hike a mountain um, or go fishing type of guy, where I would love to walk down a city street and right. like explore a city, and that would be revitalizing and energizing for me. Um, so let, let's go into macro. Yeah. Well, that was macro. Let's go into micro. Because this is, I mean, this is something that I think is, one, super important to teach our kids, but it's also really accessible. Um, and the chances of us being able to do this are much greater. Okay. So, for example, um, the days that I bring the kids with me to school, which it's amazing to have them here, but it's a lot to get us out the door, right? I mean, just carrying Tuck alone is like a workout. You know, he's like 25 pounds, so. <laughs> <laughs> he's a really but, cute 25 he's so pounds. so cute. But, man, it yeah. So getting them out the door and getting them to school is a lot. And so I notice my energy and anxiety on that morning is a lot higher. Mm, yeah. And so um, at times on those mornings, if I can, I'll take a longer way to school and I'll turn on the radio and sip my coffee for an extra 10 minutes because that allows me then to walk into the workplace feeling a little bit more calm, yeah. a little bit more together. That's a very simple, quick, easy way to care for myself that I can do pretty much at the drop of a hat. The important thing is that we recognize when we're feeling that way so we can act on it and do something. So um, for me, and yeah. this is something that Katie and I have done because we, we've at least recognized and have had people help us recognize that we need these things mm -hmm. and so often at night once the kids go down our kids still go to bed pretty early yep. Katie will go out and take a moment and do her thing yep. it might be she wants to go look for something for the house it might be that she even needs to run some mundane errands but she's able to put some headphones on mm -hmm. and listen to a book and go do her thing where for me it's typically on the weekends and it's either mowing the grass or even going fishing for a couple of hours getting away doing my thing um, and that's something that we've had to work really hard at and, yeah. and protect but that was also some really good pieces of advice and, and I know these do fall into micro care but it's really rejuvenating and when mm -hmm. we finish those we're kind of ready to come back yes and and it's not that we need to escape but it's healthy to escape it's the old adage as soon as you feel like you need a vacation you needed a vacation way before that, yes, right? Definitely. And definitely. so you want to go on that and you want to take that well before yeah. you feel like you need to. Yeah, and I would say too, because I'm, I'm kind of the same way, it's like in order for me to really feel like I can unplug, um, sometimes it does mean leaving the house and that can feel really hard to do, especially when we have kids and we have to leave them with our spouse or whatever it may be. Um, or if we don't have anybody to leave our kid, you know, with, right, like if, right. if we're a single parent, that's really challenging. What I have noticed is my frustration is less and I'm more engaged with the kids after that um, because I've been able to care for myself. We can't give what we do not possess. If I'm exhausted, I can't give energy to my kid 
and, and make sure that I'm focused and intentional with how I'm disciplining. And I will say I grew up with the adage of joy and I am three and, and all those things. And, and what I think, while they're so well-intended, there there's a huge misinterpretation and misnomer that when you're doing Jesus, others, and then yourself, you are you're following Scripture. You're, you're being a servant leader. You're being servant-hearted. But what I think we miss out on is exactly what you say. The best leaders will take care of themselves mm-hmm. first so that they can take it care of others second it's the airplane mm-hmm. piece right yeah. yeah you put your oxygen mask on first before helping someone else in order that you can breathe yeah and the same same thing is, is applicable here but now let's get back into our kids right so we've talked about yeah. self-care and examples yeah. but getting back to our kids we need to find these same things yes. for our kids to be able yes. to do self-care definitely and I would say how do we do self-care without throwing our kids in front of a screen without yeah. throwing them in front of YouTube or a video game you know, and sometimes self-care do, it, for them isn't playing outside. Yeah. Because it's either cold, it's rainy, it's not something they want to do um, at times, or, you know, they may be out of out of a norm. But what are other ways that we can do self-care for our kids? Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely depends on the age of your kid. But there are definitely things that your, you know, if your, your kid loses track of time doing I know for a lot of people it's probably video games but my 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 question then would be okay if that seems like a self-care when he's he or she is done with that video game are they more compliant are they more willing to listen to you are they in a better mood and if the answer to all of those questions are no it's not self-care right Right. that's not it may it may numb and it may distract them and that's fine to do to a certain degree of course I do the same thing Mm -hmm. Like I said, I love, I mean, the office is super, it's not energizing for me, but man, it's really nice to just sit there and not have to think for a while. So like, there is good to that. That is okay. But um, trying some different things with your kids. Maybe it's a walk in the evening. Maybe it's just sitting and talking to them. For some people, that's super energizing. For others, it's not. Um, Maybe it's inviting them to start to cook dinner. Trying different things to see what they like because we want to model for our kids how to care for ourselves and also model that like they can do things that are enjoyable and that be glorifying to God as well. Like part of, of, you know, walking with the Lord is understanding and experiencing him in the world that he's created. Um, and so it, you know, uh, you mentioned a few minutes ago that Jesus, others, myself, and we can definitely experience Jesus in those moments of self-care. That's well said. Um, so, and, and some of it may be, you know, a bath, a medi- like meditating on scripture, doing some sort of exercise, any of those things can be considered self-care. Well, and I'll say this and, and then we can move on to the next subject. Um, not to totally belabor it, but one of the things we found with our son in particular was he was really wanting to do art at night. Mm. And I was thinking, this is great. This is not a screen. Yeah, He's going to be creative. And what we found, unfortunately, was he got so creative that he couldn't take his mind off and he was not more compliant. And while it was really fun to see him do these things, it wasn't necessarily bringing him down before bed. What was, and, and I say this in a very healthy patient way and I've said this on the podcast before was sitting down and watching Andy Griffith together and yeah. and slowing down yep. and having him have a story yep. having him do something like that 
then turning the TV off and having a little bit more of a natural transition to brushing teeth and doing a story yeah. and that, that yeah. sort of thing in bed. But I really like those those pieces. So not only do we need macro and micro self-care for our families and, and ourselves, of course, but we need it for our kids. So point one was recognize the difference between a phase and a pattern. Point two was how to help your children with self-care. And point three in this addressing of the October blues is asking good questions. And so I heard from a child psychologist um, recently, what's the worst question a parent can ask their children after school? And the response was, how was your day? And I was going, wait, wait, but I do that every day. How was your day? Right? And it's so easy. It's raw the tongue. But what they said was, it does very little to connect with your child and to the heart of your child because the question is too open-ended. Yep. And I do this almost every time I pick up my son from school. I've changed my question since then. I ask them, what was the best part of your day? I say, or, you know, what co-curriculars did you have? Who did you play with? I try to try to rephrase Zone it. Zone it in a little bit. Yeah, but I still ask the question, and, it, and it's a habit. It's a habit for many of us. But it says, move to better questions for us to be better physically and emotionally um, with, or rather, better for our physically and emotionally tired children at the end of the day. And so how can we be more specific? Yeah, that's a great, I mean, it's so, it's so true because it's like that's, and it's even hard for adults, you know, when my husband asks me, hey, how was your day? It's like, well, what do I pick from? And how, how do I, like, how do I narrow down all that happened in my day, right? Um, that's a hard process to do, well, especially I, if you're tired. And I actually heard recently from, from a head of school's spouse who said, you know, my spouse hates the question, how are you doing? Yeah. Because it's so, it's just, it's just, you know, packing peanuts in conversation. Yep. Yep. It's just there. Yeah. Has no substance. Yeah. And what, what's 99.999% yeah. of the time? Fine, good, yeah. great, That's thanks. It. Yeah. Versus, and, and our kids are going to do that. Or if you ask a kid, how was your day? They're going to say terrible, horrible. And their day may have been phenomenal, yep. except for the last five minutes and, and yep. waiting for, for you to pick them up. Or you were late, or there's something else. And so it does do little to connect. So, Maria, what are questions we should ask our par- our kids as parents to maybe connect with them yeah. a little bit deeper so that we can not just have the packing peanut in sure. that relationship? I always like the high-low question. What was the best part of your day? What was the worst part of your day? Um, or what was a high? What was a low? Um, asking them about specific classes. What did you learn in math today? What happened in math today? Uh, one of the questions my dad used to always ask is, what did you learn today? Uh, which I think is a really awesome and intriguing question, right? Because, (laughs) and that's the easy answer, nothing. But I bet not just academically, but also socially, what did they learn today? That's great. That's a great um, signifier. A lot, you know, who did you sit with at lunch? What did you guys talk about? I think one of the other questions that parents often ask, and I find myself doing this too, and I do this for a living, is asking the question, well, why did that happen? Why is, especially for the majority of the kids that we deal with, the why question is really difficult to answer because it's not concrete. There's, 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 the why is, is very abstract. And a lot of our kids are not in that abstract phase yet. Um, and so asking more of a what question, so for example, if your kid comes home and says, uh, you know, Johnny called me a doo-doo head, 
and you can say, well, what do you think made him do that, as opposed to why do you think he did that? It helps them a little bit more with the concreteness and the, the development of where they are. So I think that those are some very simple questions, just being more specific. And parents, we're going to put some of these in the email that we send out as, as well in the, in the write-up. So the third thing is ask good questions. The last thing is being patient. And, you know, our lack of comfort is one thing, but our children's lack of comfort feels so overwhelming. And it's kind of like, well, you know, I can go through anything, but if my child's going through something, um, that's going to be really tough. And so we've created, particularly in, a, in West County, St. Louis, um, this natural, almost cultural expectation to take pain away from our kids. Yeah. And one of the things that my predecessor, Sue Pitzer, said was prepare the child for the path, not the path for the child. And, and I love that because we want our kids to do hard things. We go back to something we say all the time by Brene Brown, we do hard things in this family. And we have to allow our students and our children to walk through uncertainty and we as parents need to be emotionally present with them amidst the conflict and the uncomfortable season. And we have to be patient through this. So the fourth point is to be patient. And that is a hard, uncomfortable, almost counterintuitive thing that we need to do, but that's part of the fall. Totally. And I think it's, you know, we have such a high priority and value on being the best and doing, um, uh, being really good at things that sometimes we miss that part of, of what we need to teach our kids is, and what we need to do as parents is reward the effort, not necessarily the product, right? Yeah. Product's very easy to see, um, but it's so important to teach our kids that it is more important to do hard things even if, you know, And I want to qualify your statement, though. Yeah. You're not talking about academics. No. You I mean, were talking about relationships. Yes, and, yes. and I say that because, yes, we do want to reward effort in the academics, but we, we, we also want to see a product. Yeah. In this case, what you're t- specifically talking about is the effort that our mm-hmm. kids are putting forth in being patient mm-hmm. through hard things. Yeah, and you know, if, if they're in a conflict with a friend and you guys have decided that what your, what your kid needs to do is make an effort to be a friend to someone, like reward the effort of trying even if it doesn't go very well. You know, like that is okay. Relationships are hard. So so rewarding the fact that they tried. Um, and, and you do that through your words. I'm not saying, you know, you give them a piece of candy. Um, you reward them through, I'm so proud of you for doing something even though it was hard. And that, again, is being present yes. and patient. Yes, present and patient. And it's really hard to be patient, especially because we want to do for our kids so that they don't feel pain and so that they don't have have a difficult time but man does that end up cutting them off at the knees if we don't allow them to do the things we know they can do so let me finish kind of with this and kind of final thought here so we've we've talked about the steps and notice recognizing the difference between a phase and a pattern takes patience um giving your child self-care takes Mm -hmm. presence Mm -hmm. asking good questions takes presence and And patience right and patience and then being patient of course does take patience yes 
But when we circle back to, to a season, October and February, these October blues, as, as we've kind of called them, none of this, none of this is, is to ignore what's going on in their life. None mm-hmm. of this is to, to diminish or minimize what they're experiencing. But Jesus did a phenomenal job displaying great care and concern from his children. He listened. He offered his time. And when many people were clamoring for, for his attention, and he protected himself and his disciples by not escaping, but retreating. Yep. And, and more importantly, when we think about Jesus having that eternal perspective of, of redirecting appropriately his disciples to heaven and to the eternal cause, he was able, in a sense, to sleep soundly during the storm. And while he was asleep and others were so afraid, he was able to get up look at the storm, calm it, and then turn and care for the disciples and asking, why were you so afraid? And so my challenge to to parents, my challenge to ourselves, um, my challenge to our kids is may we honestly have the courage to gently walk through this season of storms and having and praying for the discernment to recognize the changes and resting in the Lord's power that he knows what's best for the people who are closest and dearest to us. Yep. Amen. Amen. So folks, I'll leave it with that. I hope you guys can enjoy and wrestle with this topic. It's one that is worth wrestling through and with. If you have more questions, we're happy to talk with you about that and excited for you guys to uh, be able to work in this with us. And so from then, we'll talk to you next time.